Well, you need to do it. Thank you. And your knees might not work the way they've always worked, but 
There's not a thing in the world wrong with their fingers. <laughs> we will attest to that. Not a thing in the world wrong with the fingers. This past week, on Tuesday evening, we uh, went up to the Historical Society meeting and listened to James Reed gave an excellent presentation up there on the history of Caneyville. I was, I was informed about some things that I was not aware of in the history of Caneyville, and I thoroughly enjoyed his presentation. I was also amazed at the way he was able to rattle off and just recall dates and uh, be able to share the details of that. Jim, I thank you for doing that, and I appreciate it very much. You. what you did and uh, Carly Bratcher brought him up there drove him up that night and just as quick as we walked in Carly came over to us with a great big smile across his face and he told me he said Dave he said I won't be able to be there Sunday but he said I want you to share something with the people I, after he shared the news with me, I said, Carly, that may be something you want to share. And he said, no, I can't wait. I want you to tell him. We're having another boy. <laughs> and he wanted to make sure that I'd take care of that today and make that announcement for him. I told him, I said, well, Carly, I was actually pulling for a girl for you this time, but uh, I'm happy that you're expecting another boy. I knew they were expecting another grandchild, and I, and I just didn't know... We didn't know. He told me last Sunday they were going to find out what it was going to be, and he came up Tuesday night and told me that what it was what it was going to be. Today I want to look at John chapter 14 with you, the first few verses. As we think about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, but more particularly. Thinking about how that Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life really is our assurance of a cure for troubled hearts. Last Sunday as we were looking in the Gospel of John, we were looking at how Jesus miraculously was able to restore strength and health into a man that had been palsied for 38 years. And Jesus was able to affect his healing completely, as we were able to notice there at that time. And, and we use that as a, a reference unto the fact that we're all hurting people. And some way or the other, all of us are hurting in, in various ways and various fashions, but we're all hurting. And we can identify with a palsied man in, in that sense, if not physically. We are emotionally, we have been spiritually, we have been here hurting because of our sins and Jesus came to take care of that problem for us. But I also want us to recognize today that all of us share something else in common. Every one of us have need for the reassurance of our Lord and the comfort that He can give us in our times of difficulty and our time of hurting. And I don't guess there's a better passage in the New Testament Scriptures that brings unto our attention the ability of Jesus 
to here bring peace into a life that's torn and a life that's hurting. Or There's not another passage of Scripture anywhere in the New Testament Scriptures that would be able to better help us understand the comforting grace of our wonderful Lord as we look at the promises He makes and the hope that He holds out for us there in the Gospel of John. As we've been looking this month in the Gospel of John, I've tried to select some passages that we're all familiar with. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at John 3.16. The passage that automatically and immediately comes to mind for Bible students when they are here referenced unto the Gospel of John. The golden text of the Scripture. But right next unto that passage, no doubt would be the passage in John chapter 14. It's a great passage of Scripture. It's comforted hearts as much as perhaps the 23rd Psalm has. And it speaks to our heart every time that we read it and look at it. We all have difficult days. And we need to be reassured of our Lord's presence and our Lord's comforting grace with us. It was a time of great disappointment for the disciples. It wasn't a good day for them. When we come into the setting, Jesus had just shared some disturbing news with them. He told them that they were going to be facing the possibility of of Him not being with them physically anymore for a while. And He spoke these words of encouragement and comfort unto them. We've all had bad days. I I think I've told you the story about this woman that was rushing to change planes in an airport. Having to go through all of the different security uh, steps that she was having to go through. It was kind of throwing her somewhat a little bit late and, and she was rushing a little more normal but by the time that she got through finally she was passing a concession stand and she realized she happened to have a few minutes that there before she would be boarding her next plane and, and continuing her flight. So she stopped in the concession stand and she picked up a Kit Kat candy bar. She said, you know, while I'm waiting, I'll, I'll enjoy this candy bar and, and take a little nourishment. So she happened to spot a seat down at the end of the row where she could put her luggage down, her carry-on luggage down to the side. And, and she laid her coat and her purse and so forth there on, on the bench that was in front of her or close to her. And uh, she then went back to try to get her luggage out of the way of other people. And then after she got all of that taken care of, she thought she would enjoy that Kit Kat candy bar that she had just purchased and was going to eat. But she had happened to sit down beside of a kind of a large man that was right there. And as she started to raise up and get her Kit Kat candy bar, she happened to notice that this man was unwrapping her Kit Kat candy bar. And uh, he, he broke off a piece and started to eat it and she just couldn't believe that he was that brazen. And anybody would be all that rude to here take her Kit Kat candy bar right there in front of her, break off a piece and start to eat it. She looked at him and rather a stern, mean look and then without saying a word, she just reached over and broke off a piece herself and started to eat that. And then he, 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 he looked at her, kind of mean, and, and couldn't believe that she was doing what she was doing. And she, he reached and broke another piece off, and then she reached and broke another piece off. And, and it was almost like a race was on to, to see who could consume the most of that Kit Kat candy bar. But nothing was said. No words were exchanged whatsoever. 
after the candy bar was eaten, the man, he sat there for a minute, and a few minutes he, he got up, and, and he went off, and, and then he came back and he had another Kit Kat candy bar. He'd gone and purchased another one. And he unwrapped it and he started to eat it. But before he could even take a bite of it, she said, well, he ate half of my Kit, candy, Kit Kat candy bar. So she reached over and she broke off a piece of that Kit Kat candy bar. And, and he did the same and then she did the same and, and, and all like that until they were, they were finished with the second Kit Kat candy bar. And then the call came for them to get their boarding passes ready. They were ready to board the plane, so she reached down, got her purse, opened her purse up to get her boarding pass, and guess what she found there on top of her purse? Her Kit Kat candy bar. You talk about somebody not having a good day. The embarrassment of that, that here, following that scenario through, we can, we can kind of relate sometimes to days like that. Well, the disciples of Jesus found themselves in a very difficult situation, a broken-hearted situation it was for them. They had not expected this, even though they had been told that this was going to take place. You see, it had only been just a few days. Only been a few days when they had come riding into Jerusalem with, with fanfare and, and with great pomp and circumstances. So it would seem as we look at the Word and, and see that, that here is that Jesus would come into the city there on that particular day in great triumphal procession and enter into Jerusalem. People would be waving palm branches and, and going back to chapter 12, there they would be crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed. Blessed is the King of Israel. And the disciples of Jesus were somewhat riding a high there for a few days. Because they saw that even the Pharisees and the chief priests who had been plotting against Jesus' death had, had here stood by somewhat amazed at the popularity of Jesus. And what was taking place here as Jesus would come into the city. And even the 12th chapter, verse 19, would tell us that they had reached the point to where they had said, See, this is going on here all around us, and, and this is getting us nowhere. Look, they said, how the whole world has gone after Him. They least expected Jesus to come before them and say, I'm going to have to go away. They least expected Jesus to tell them that here one of their number would betray Him. I don't know how much we find that Jesus told His disciples about what was to take place, but He was giving them forewarning about what was about to happen. For you see, He knew all the circumstances of it. He knew who it was that was going to betray Him. He knew the, the trials that here and the mockery of the trials that would take place at night. And, and here as he, he addressed His disciples, we could find that it wasn't a good day for them. They were troubled in heart here when they heard all of this news about what was happening. And they needed words of reassurance. And Jesus would then speak, begin to speak the words that we find in, in John chapter 14, the first six verses, unto his disciples and, and offer them encouragement. Notice the words. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm reading from the NIV, you can see. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. 
that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What a great passage of Scripture as I said. And I think Jesus is asking His disciples in that passage of Scripture and in essence asking us today here to, to basically do three things. He's asking us first of all to trust in His presence. He's asking us to trust in His promises. And thirdly, He's simply asking us to trust in Him. I think there's a difference in those statements. I'd like to explain it to you. Jesus was asking His disciples, first of all, to trust in My presence. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Me. As we look at that and as we think about that, sometimes we, we get the idea that what Jesus is talking about is that just as they believe in God, as they have always trusted in God, that they are to have that belief and to have that trust in Him. But I think as we look at the context of that Scripture, in light of what's taking place in John chapter 12, John chapter 13, and then follow the setting all the way through of that last night event with Jesus, with His disciples, into the next chapters, and even His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, that really what Jesus is saying to His disciples, I want you to know that you can trust God, and you can trust in Me, even though there will come a time when you will no longer be able to see My presence. And when I am gone from your presence physically, I want to make sure that you are not stopping trusting in me. You see, Jesus knew what his disciples were like as much as he knows what we're like. And what people have always been like. He knows that it's easier for us to trust in things when we can see them or when we can touch them. That's exactly what Thomas expressed, wasn't it? When he said, unless I see the print of the nails in his hand and I'm able to thrust my hand into his side, he says, I will not believe that he has risen, that he's come back to life. I want to see living proof. Have you been watching the Bible series? And I, I hope some of you have. I, I, I highly recommend it to you in a series that are yet upcoming on TV, the Bible. You've noticed that even the, the children of Israel had that problem from time to time when, when God was not visibly present with them or even when His servant Moses was not with them. The children of Israel had trouble staying on track uh, with their allegiance unto God. And that has proved true in their history. And we have a problem too. Sometimes it's just exactly like that. And here Jesus was coming and saying unto His disciples, I will have to leave you. I will have to go away physically for a while. You will no longer be able to see me in body here in your presence. But make sure that you don't stop trusting in me. Make sure that even though I'm not here, you still have always placed your trust in me and you will never, never here forsake me because I will not forsake you. Never will I do that. So Jesus was giving this word of encouragement, trust in my presence. 
But I like, I like his second point that I want to discuss with you. When he says, trust in my promises. And you see, we look at John chapter 14 and the first six verses, and we see some great promises being made there, don't we? You look at those verses, and he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you into, to be with me that you also may be where I am. Can you see so many precious promises of the Lord and, and just those two verses of Scripture that we look at there? How great are those promises to us today? How great are those promises when we find ourselves in need of His comforting presence and His words of reassurance into our hearts and to our life. And to know that they're made by one who will always keep His word really takes on substance for us. God has made many promises unto His people in both the Old and New Testament Scriptures. He promised the children of Israel a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It took them several years to realize it, but eventually they got there. They didn't appreciate it if they were taken into captivity here into a foreign land, but God promised them that they would be restored. It took 70 years, but they were restored. God promised a Messiah. God promised a Savior that was to come into the world. It took a long time. But in the fullness of time, the Scripture says... Jesus, Jesus was born, Jesus the Savior came. God's promises are sure. The promises of Jesus are sure. And we find that in these verses of Scripture, He's given us so many wonderful promises. I like the promise that He gives us there in that passage of Scripture when He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. As I said, I'm reading from the NIV translation. Many of you are more familiar with the King James translation, and many of you like it better in the King James. In my Father's house are many mansions, he would say. Have you ever thought about all the different words that are used with reference? With reference unto this place that is promised unto us and this eternity in heaven that is given us unto us the hope of. The words that are used there in reference unto that place in Scripture. and some Scriptures it's called a country. We're moving into a country like many of the Old Testament pilgrims did and sojourners did. A country that seems to be removed sometimes but we know that it's there, we know that it's reachable. And using the term country kind of speaks to the vastness of it. In other places in Scripture, rather than the word country, it's referenced as a city, kind of speaking unto us here in essence of the vast population of people that will be there, and we appreciate that so much. But we also know that Scripture speaks of, of this place as being called paradise. Speaking of the uniqueness and the unique beauty and loveliness of that place and how desirable it is. But I can't help but think that perhaps one of the greatest terms that's used in reference unto heaven and used with reference unto our eternal home, I can't help but think that it's found in this passage here in John chapter 14. Notice I put it in bold letters. 
I've underscored it in this passage of Scripture for us. Jesus says, It is my Father's house. It is my Father's house. And as you think about your Father's house, and think about the Father's house of Jesus, isn't that just another way of perhaps calling it home? It's my home. It's my Father's home in which we're there. And, and we come back and, and notice in, in the essence of the words that were used in the original text. And I, I think they go back and, and most Bible commentators would even carry this thought forward under the days and times and practices and customs of the, when Jesus was speaking these words. There in, in that particular civilization, that particular time, you go back there and having reference into it like this and, and, and the Eastern custom was that when a son got married, he would bring his bride back to his father's house. And they would just simply add another room onto the house or build another room onto the house. And, and there the son would bring his bride into his father's house and, and they would make their home there. The son, next son would, would get married. He'd take his bride and bring his bride back into his father's house. And they would add another room on and, and here enlarge the house again. I think that's what Jesus is saying here in this particular passage of Scripture. The family stays together. The family of God will stay together. The family of God will dwell together in my Father's house. There are many rooms and, and this great mansion of my Father that's being enlarged over and over again so that we can share and enjoy that time together. What a precious promise that is. What a great promise that is when we see that there. And, and don't we all here appreciate it to the extent that many of us Many of us feel that much of us is there already in many ways. You come into the Scripture, we know that our name is written in heaven. You come into Scripture and the Bible tells us that our citizenship is there. The God that we love, the God that we believe in, the Heavenly Father that is our Heavenly Father is there already. Our Savior is there. Our inheritance is there. Many of us have so many loved ones that we believe in our heart that are there and acquaintances that are there. So much of us is there already. So when we come and we recognize this promise, in my Father's house, the place I want to bring you into, the place that I want to take you into, He says, I am giving you reassurance of that. What a precious promise it is. So Jesus said, in order to realize that, I just ask you to simply continue to trust in me. Not so much in my presence, but in me as a person. Trust in me. For you see, I am the only way by which you can ever come into this place. I'm the only way that you can ever come unto my Father's house. It is by recognizing that you have to enter through me and have to come through me into my Father's presence, into my Father's house. So trust in me, he said. And you notice those verses in verses 4 through 6. He says, you know the way to the place where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What a great promise. I, Jesus makes it clear in that passage of Scripture that He is not just the way 
And he's not going to just show us the way, but he's going to come one day. He's going to come one day and take us by the hand to take us there into the Father's house. Like the son would his bride and bring her back into the Father's house. Now I don't know what that means to you, but it means this to me. He's not going to just tell us how to get there. He's not going to just write it out and, and, and on a sheet with instructions somewhere, but He's going to come and He's going to take us and bring us back personally. There into His Father's house. Isn't that our hope? Isn't that our hope someday that He will come and, and He will take us personally there to be in the Father's presence and, and present us as His bride there in the Father's house? so that we might live and dwell there for, for all, for all eternity. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. A cure for troubled hearts. Just as other passages are, are here, answers to many of our hurts and many of our physical needs, we recognize that here spiritually and emotionally. This passage speaks to one of the greatest needs that we would ever have. So whatever our burdens may be in life, whatever struggles we may face from day to day, however our days may be going, as bad as sometimes they may get, the solution would simply be that we continue to trust in His presence, even though we can't see Him. We trust in Him as a person, and we lean simply upon the great promises that He has given unto us. Jesus says, as we would do that, we would never get lost. We would be able to see the way. and We would never be able there to, to stray from a course as long as we stay true into Him and let Him take us by the hand and lead us forward. And that way, as He would take us forward unto the Father's house. What a great promise we have. A promise that we know that someday, someday as we said, will come true in our life. And we live for that day, don't we? That's our hope as a child of God. That's our hope as a Christian. That one day we can be taken into the Father's house. That's, that's home for us. That's home for us as a child of God. I, I don't know where you stand in your relationship with the Savior this morning, but we want to invite you and encourage you. The Savior would be waiting for you if you have a need that you need to surrender to Him as we would stand and as we would sing together our hymn of invitation decision. If you need to obey the gospel of Christ to claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do that today. Or whatever you need, let Him be able to meet that need for you. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, Jesus can do it. And He will do it as we stand and as we sing. Uh, any announcements that need to be made that wasn't covered? Barry had a long list of them this morning. I think we've covered them all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. 
in the sense that you were willing to give your son Jesus to become the way by which we might be able one day to come into your house for all eternity. And we look forward to that time, Father, because of our hope in you and your son. Thank you for the promises of your word and for the steadfastness of those promises and the surety of those promises. We just pray that they might comfort and encourage our hearts. So dismiss us now with your blessing always. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Thank <laughs> you.